The COVID-19 pandemic shifted global energy consumption, the demand for coal declined, with economic activity and electricity demand falling worldwide. However, this decline is likely short-lived, with trends set to reverse when economies recover. On the positive side, though, the use of renewable energy is on the rise globally. In this episode of Clean Air Asia's podcast, On Air, we are speaking to five experts on the pathways to sustainable energy transition in Asia. I'm Glinda Batan Baterina, Deputy Executive Director of Clean Air Asia, and I'm hosting today's podcast. With me today are Dr. Bino Parthan, Head of Regions for the International Renewable Energy Agency, Dr. Huang Dung Tung, Chairman of the Vietnam Clean Air Partnership, Paul Butarbuter, Director of JJB Sustain Energy Indonesia, Renata Red Constantino from the Institute for Climate and Sustainable Cities in the Philippines, and air quality expert Chris James. The latest International Energy Agency Global Energy Review reported that global coal demand declined by 4% in 2020 as a result of lower electricity demand due to COVID-19 restrictions. This was the biggest drop since World War II. However, a 4.5% increase in coal demand is forecast in 2021 exceeding 2019 levels, with Asia accounting for three quarters of the rebound. In 2020, Clean Air Asia released the Coal-Fired Power Plant Emission Standards in South and Southeast Asian Countries Policy Analysis that found that several developing countries in these regions continue to increase their reliance on coal accounting for 31% of the global planned expansion in coal capacity. On the other hand, renewable energy use rose 3% in 2020 as demand for other energy sources fell. The primary driver was the almost 7% growth in electricity generation from renewable sources. International Renewable Energy Agency data shows that Asia accounted for 64% of new renewable energy capacity in 2020, increasing its renewable capacity by 167.6 gigawatts to reach 1.29 terawatts, 46% of the global total and a large share of this increase occurred in China. Dr. Binu, can you share with us how you see coal demand changing in Asia in the next five years? Thanks for inviting Irina to share our perspectives in this uh, platform. So we see a fundamental transition, energy transition happening in Asia and beyond, and uh, it's already happening. And uh, what we see, and as you alluded to, there's been a significant uh, uptake of renewable energy globally and in Asia. And the, what that means for coal in Asia and beyond is that uh, we do find that significant uh, shares of renewable uh, uh, coal power currently is not viable compared to renewables. So the economics is really driving a transition away from coal. And a significant share of uh, uh, renewable energy, which is uh, coming online, is cheaper than the cheapest uh, coal and fossil fuel power plant, uh, which is the other option to be considered. So that is one. So we see a significant share of coal power plants in the pipeline not happening in the future. So that's one. The second is also the 
cost competitiveness of uh, operating call which is already installed and operating. And interestingly, this year, uh, this is a Irina cost report uh, which we released uh, yesterday on the 22nd of June. We find that the significant share of existing coal power plants are not viable compared to new renewable energy which is coming on. So uh, we see these two things happening in Asia and beyond of uh, uh, coal power plants in the pipeline not materializing. And then the second is also that early retirement of operating coal power plants as a result of cost competitiveness of renewable energy. So what this means for uh, uh, Asia and Southeast Asia in particular, we see a significant a share of increase in renewables. Uh, so uh, as some current trends, ASEAN 10 a plan to have about 31% share of renewables in the power sector by 2030. We see that increasing to about 53% based on the current cost curves and competitiveness. And uh, we see that ramping up significantly to 85% of renewable energy share in the power sector by uh, 2050 in uh, in ASEAN. So this is what we see, a fundamental change away from coal and to high shares of renewables in the energy system by 2050. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Binu. What would you say are the drivers of these changes that you are seeing uh, in Asia? Yeah, it's essentially the economics and uh, obviously we see significant improvements in renewable energy technologies. Uh, we are seeing significant economies of scale, as you just alluded to. Uh, key countries in the region, uh, the larger Asia region like uh, China are driving those economies of scale. We have seen the supply chains become more competitive. And very importantly, there's increased uh, developer experience. All of this is clearly driving the cost down. And uh, if you just look at the last uh, 10 years, the cost for electricity from utility scale solar photovoltaics actually fell 85 percentage between 2010 and 2020. So that's a significant drop. And that uh, economics uh, is and the cost competitiveness is driving these changes. Uh, today, uh, between last year and this year, this even been a further decline. We see that the onshore wind Cost, uh, the, this is the levelized cost of electricity dropped by 13 percentage and the solar PV by 7 percentage. And uh, as I just uh, mentioned earlier, we see that uh, since 2010, 644 gigawatts of renewable power generation which has been added, these are on an annual basis, uh, cost lower than the cheapest core fossil fuel powered option, which was the baseline option in that particular year. And uh, this analysis that I talked about, which was released yesterday, we feel looking at the uh, existing coal power plants and their operating costs, we find that today uh, 800 gigawatts of existing coal power capacity, significant share of them in Asia, actually cost more than uh, the new renewables to just keep them operating. And this is including not just the renewable power generation costs, we have brought in some uh, additional incremental costs for uh, flexibility and integration costs. So what this essentially means on an annual basis to the country is that if you replace these coal power plants which are operating today, significant share, 800 gigawatts, they're going to cut annual costs uh, by 32 billion per year. And this will have a significant effect. If you just look at the CO2 emissions, almost three gigatons on an annual basis. So significant uh, economic and financial benefits by early call retirement and uh, mainly driven by these uh, trends of uh, driven by the course technologies and the experience thank you thank you uh, since we have other other colleagues here that are uh, in countries where we still see a significant coal pipeline. I'd just like to check with our colleagues from the Philippines, Vietnam, and Indonesia. After hearing uh, Dr. Binu and all of the uh, projections of increased uptake of renewable energy, where uh, because the economics are really showing that countries should be favoring renewable energy versus other fossil fuel uh, power generation, 
just like to check are you seeing any great shifts from these countries Vietnam Indonesia and the Philippines towards more renewable energy um, sources coming online hello yes dr tung yes uh, thank you very much for just present uh, just talking point of uh, dr binu right? yeah so to recap being just uh, a new uh, renewable uh, energy in vietnam uh, i think that uh, in uh, we have seen this uh, how to say this big changes increase of uh, renewable uh, sharing uh, energy in Vietnam. Uh, if uh, uh, come back two years ago, so nobody talking about that. But last year, this year, so a lot of big investment project in renewable energy in Vietnam, especially in the south province of Vietnam. And just, uh, uh, just to let you know that a lot of discussion on that. Uh, some just uh, say, okay, uh, no more from uh, uh, CFP, from our plan. And just we go just totally to uh, renewable energy. And just uh, some say, that, oh, we have to have a balance. Because it's uh, right now, see, a lot of uh, investors already cannot sell energy to the government. Yeah, they have, uh, they already invest, but they cannot sell. Yeah, a lot of changes is happening in Vietnam, but you know that the price of electricity in Vietnam is uh, too low, very, very low. And just the uh, government already gives some incentive to just uh, for just renewable energy, so that we get the booming in the last year and this year. But the thing is, is infrastructure uh, is, is not ready yet. Yeah. So it's, uh, they say that, okay, it's, it's, uh, what, uh, why we need energy in, uh, in, in the evening? So just uh, we don't have it. And in the, in the late time, a lot of uh, energy and uh, they, they cannot keep it for the, the, for the, the evening. So this is what is balanced. Yeah, so it's, it's, I think that's yeah, this is problem that is how to balance and just a roadmap uh, to, to for that. Uh, so that uh, we can just uh, at the same time we can just develop economy and at the same time we protect environment. Just as the big issues in uh, Vietnam and they already this, we are discussing now. And uh, I think that uh, it's very interesting. Maybe later we can share with you uh, just some just, uh, some some lesson learned in uh, Vietnam regarding this. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Tung. I'd I'd be very interested to hear what's happening in the Philippines and Indonesia as well. Are these discussions uh, occurring in your countries? Uh, yeah, but in Indonesia, but. A few years ago, government uh, uh, launched a program of uh, building 35 gigawatt of, uh, of, uh, of power plant, and majority will be coal, uh, fossil-based uh, coal and, and gas. And uh, a lot of them has been, uh, let's say, signed, constructed, and operational, but about eight gigawatt is not uh, uh, is in the planning uh, and procurement stage. Uh, the other uh, that has not been, uh, uh, let's say, uh, uh, in operation are still in construction uh, phase, but there are still some, uh, I think about six or eight uh, gigawatt that's still in the financing phase, mean, meaning that they have not got financing. The interesting thing about it is actually that they have now difficulties in getting financing for uh, coal power plant. And uh, it shows that uh, the international pressure, uh, especially to the financial institution, lead to the reduced amount of money that is available for uh, for coal power plant. And uh, for me, that's good. And we hope that uh, no one, no financial institution, uh, would provide uh, additional financing for uh, for them. But uh, uh, in our in our case in Indonesia, government are still. Uh, let's say focusing on uh, 
providing support to the development of coal power plant for some reasons uh mis misperceptions uh, for example the saying that the, the coal uh, coal power plant price energy from coal power price uh, coal power plant is cheaper than the renewable and uh, of course it would be cheaper if since government provide uh, uh, quite quite substantial uh, support to to coal uh, power plant uh, starting from the from the mining until the, to operation for example uh, recently the coal price increased to over 100 but there is a regulation in indonesia for capping the the price of coal for power uh, purpose to only 70 us dollars this is a kind of uh, let's say uh, indirect subsidy provided by government to coal power plant so this is this lead to misperceptions that uh, saying coal is cheaper uh, however uh, And, and uh, a case that has been started in Indonesia when the, the first uh, uh, large-scale uh, solar PV uh, uh, bidding uh, was implemented in the, in uh, last year, uh, where uh, the first winner uh, offered about 5.8 and uh, and 6.2 for each 25 megawatt uh, solar PV, shows that the prices actually can go down in Indonesia. So. And then uh, there is a kind of, uh, let's say, market sounding uh, uh, conducted by a subsidiary of a state-owned electricity company for even larger scale, 90 megawatt of solar PV, for example. And uh, they got an offer for about uh, uh, below 4 cent. So it shows that that even if the, the, the uh, renewable energy uh, price is, is already lower, but government still prioritizing on coal. And uh, this is actually that we are uh, we are now uh, uh, let's say advocating to government that they really need to let's say put a kind of uh, uh, let's say full price to the coal so that we will see whether coal is really cheaper than renewable. And this is now uh, uh, our ongoing discussion with uh, government. Thank you. That's great. Now, just checking with you, Red. It seems that. Uh, leveling of the playing field is necessary so that uh, governments can make the right decisions you know to meet their uh, their nationally determined contributions towards uh, 1.5 degrees c you know, the paris climate agreement target and what do you think it would be needed and uh, maybe in the context of the philippines to to make sure that the playing field is is uh, is leveled so that renewables have uh, the chance to to scale up um glinda thanks for for that question um i'd like to answer that by by trying to respond uh, to a, a what might be a necessary um uh, more basic approach um and um we can unpack this later but i'll go through this quite quickly um the first point is that um, uh, on questions of the energy transition um, around the world, we must never forget the, the issue of responsibility. Um, I think a lot of countries are trying to do their part. Um, however late the awakening, um, uh, the recent moves by the Philippine and Indonesian government, uh, including Vietnam, have been um, have really mattered. Uh, and I think uh, we need to pay attention not only to The, the integrity of uh, the pronouncements, uh, either to uh, welcome uh, what might be Southeast Asia's largest surge in terms of uh, renewable energy, uh, courtesy of Vietnam, or uh, within a few months apart, um, something that I think uh, we would, none of us would uh, have thought uh, imaginable uh, uh, a decade ago, which is um, the Indonesian and uh, Philippine governments declaring a moratorium on greenfield coal uh, and uh, discussing an energy transition so openly. Um, and that's uh, largely uh, not only because of economics, because economics is also influenced by um, uh, a lot of other factors, civil society, um, uh, political agreements, um, you know, uh, governments acting in concert uh, to produce something like Paris, uh, but also the pursuit of better development that's sustainable, not just uh, something chased for um, uh, a short term. Um, at the same time, responsibility 
has its opposite. So countries like Australia are, are still left off the hook. Um, uh, such a huge role to play uh, and such uh, an irresponsible uh, uh, um, neglect from, from their own government. And so as Southeast Asia uh, needs to do their part and is trying to take the right pathway, I think the, the, the community of countries that are determined to take action, especially those that are particularly vulnerable to climate change, like those in Southeast Asia, need to keep calling out um, the laggards uh, uh, among the countries. Um, Australia is one really big example. Um, the, the, the second is that I think um, I, I'm really confident that we will end up in the right landing zone, um, that we will have a clean energy uh, dominated um, power sector. Uh, at some point, eventually that's gonna be our landing zone. That is not the challenge. The big challenge is, can we get there sooner? Can we arrive um, earlier? Can we shave off five or seven or 10 years from long, hard campaigns so that the benefit of reliable, affordable, secure energy can be enjoyed by the public? And, you know, understanding that, by the way, as a co-benefit, um, we get to contribute to the global fight against dangerous climate change. Um, and that brings me to another important point. We chase renewable energy and the energy transition, not for compliance purposes, not for emissions reductions, but because it is good for the economy, it is good for working people, it is good for business, especially small, micro and medium sized enterprises. Um, and it promotes democracy as well. Um, and by the way, we, we get to contribute to fixing the, the, the climate crisis as well. Um, in this sense, uh, another point is that I think um, being in a specific pandemic situation should remind us constantly every day, every week, that we are in this situation right now. And when I say we, I mean the entire world is in different degrees of difficulty because of the illusion that we've embraced for so long. And that is that we can continue to run our economies solely based on chasing productivity or GDP. Very clearly, the, the situation where we're in right now is because no economy in the world has been able to anticipate uh, or are everyone's vulnerable to non-financial external shocks because the only thing we measure is productivity and financial progress uh, and that simply won't do it's time to establish resilience at the heart of macroeconomic fundamentals and it's time to establish metrics by which we can uh, measure if we're moving towards uh, closer to that goal. And the energy transition certainly has a central part to play in establishing resilience at the heart of macroeconomic fundamentals. The first thing to do is to avoid silos. We cannot win the energy transition for the long haul if we're only if we keep on talking about it as if it's just the power sector or electricity that's involved. It has to be economy-wide. We need to see the links to infrastructure, to agriculture, to transport, um, to food security, and so on, because then it becomes completely embedded uh, in national de development strategies. In terms of the pandemic alone, it requires solutions, uh, immediate solutions require cold storage. And um, if we cannot provide that, then some of our communities simply won't get the relief that they have long uh, needed. And in the, in the Philippines in particular, we experienced um, the absurd situation of having um, excess base load capacity and yet outages still occurred, brownouts still took place. We were in a red alert situation very recently. And this is simply not a question of not having enough supply. We don't have the right kind of supply because we are still in, stuck in the obsolete thinking that base load, inflexible, rigid generation will see uh, the entire problem through. It can no longer be so. Um, variable renewable energy is the way to go. And the reason also we had outages is because the truth is the opposite of what most people assume. It is coal power that is intermittent, expensive, and unreliable. And in the case of the Philippines, insecure. So the sooner we move away from this, the better. Uh, and, uh, you know, the NDC is a good step towards this, but we need to take more and there has to be more than just an NDC discussion or debate. Thank you so much, Red. And um, taking on your first point of responsibility, but using a different lens, really 
one of the ways by which uh, we, we we recommended in that report, the Coal-Fired Power Plant Emission Standards Report that Clean Air Asia released uh, late last year, was really to ensure that the externalities from coal-fired power generation, which you know, primarily is uh, air pollution or the emissions coming from the stacks of these power plants, are internalized. And, and uh, there we found out how uh, a lot of Southeast Asian countries still have very lenient emission standards, even for new coal-fired power plants. And uh, this question I pose to, uh, to Chris, you know, since you have been working with several countries in the region uh, in, and in other parts of the, of the world, what do you see is the role of ensuring that the emission standards for coal-fired power plants are really up to uh, international or meet international best practice? Um, yeah, thank you, Glenda. Um, I guess I would like to start answering the question by building on a point that, that Red made. Um, and that is that what, uh, in terms of best practices, what I see are uh, states or countries that do what we call in the United States integrated resource planning, or in China, it's known as scientific energy planning. And that is a forward-looking comprehensive uh, evaluation of what uh, energy resources one needs over the next 5, 10, 20 years. Included in that, in the good plans, are environmental costs, economics, uh, as well as this point about brittle resources. Um, this is particularly true in the United States and Western countries, but we're seeing this in China also, where the nature of the electricity demand is becoming more peaky. If you look at where the, the sectors the demand is coming from, it's not the industrial sector so much, it's commercial and residential. And that demand is not 24 seven, it's you know one shift or it's nine to five. And when you have that kind of demand, you don't need 1000 megawatt coal plants. You need smaller, more nimble resources, closer to load centers. Uh, and that is a prime opportunity for uh, renewables as well as increasingly battery storage. Uh, and both of those are being increasingly demonstrated. In, so moving on then to the emission standards, um, really what we're talking about are, you know, what's known as best available control technologies or best available techniques as it's known in Europe. And this are uh, applied to uh, new plants, greenfield plants of any fuel, as well as to uh, clean up the existing uh, sources. One thing I think is important uh, going forward would be to uh, look at this not only from a lens of, you know, what's the cleanest way to burn coal, uh, which is unfortunately an approach that many countries have taken. Um, and instead, I would ask, suggest that question be turned on its head, which is, what's the best way to produce a megawatt hour of electricity from cost as well as uh, environmental uh, perspective? And when you look at that, then you, you look at things like energy efficiency, uh, which is uh, you know, the most, most effective resource, uh, as well as um, getting things like um, you know, smaller uh, renewables and those kind of things. In terms of the existing fleets though, um, you're quite correct that uh, Southeast Asian emission standards are not up to snuff. They're nowhere near what's needed. Um, and there, we should be talking about you know, what time frame is needed to meet, you know, global standards um, and and negotiate what that might be. Um, I, I and, a, and a colleague of mine have an adage, it's like, we don't negotiate on the level of the standard, we will negotiate on timing, which means that if, if somebody needs a couple more years to make that stringent standard, then you can look at a consent decree or some sort of limitation on their future operation until they either shut down or put on the controls. Um, and I would also want to point out that the emission controls are well established. Flue gas desulfurization to clean up sulfur was first installed in the Battersea plant in London in 1937. 
um, and selective catalytic reduction for NOx has been around since the late 80s. Uh, both of those get rid of 90 to 98 percent of those pollutants. Um, and that also allows you to have a much smaller control device to clean up the particulate and mercury, which we haven't really talked about. But it really should be an approach of requiring the best. Um, these are mature and they also work on any coal. Um, a common argument is my coal is different, blah, blah. And it's really just, um, you know, a very weak argument because uh, we've shown um, that these technologies work on ground coals in Eastern Europe. They work on lignite in Texas and North Dakota, uh, and they're highly effective. Um, so there's really no uh, reason not to pursue uh, going forward with requiring these um, in all the countries that we're talking about. Thanks a lot, Chris. And in the last, in the next uh, few minutes, I'd just like to explore a little bit, um, you know, some concrete action points that uh, we would like uh, countries to take in ensuring that we fast track the energy transition since we have a, uh, a goal that we'd like to meet of 1.5 degrees C. Um, the sooner we shift to decarbonizing our energy systems, then uh, the, the better for, for, for the countries and for the people. So I'd like just to go around the table to hear your thoughts on what are the challenges and the opportunities that uh, you see uh, for countries uh, as they develop their pathways to the to a sustainable um, to this sustainable energy transition. Yeah, uh, thanks uh, very much, Linda. Uh, so I think uh, the. The challenge is essentially that countries do associate uh, falsely uh, energy security with local fossil fuel resources and then uh, operating fossil fuel power plants. So that uh, fundamentally needs to change. And uh, it's very clear in a number of countries uh, in the region that the capacity factors of coal power plants have uh, dropped from this high 70s to 50s, etc., making them non-viable. So one thing as some countries have done is to acknowledge that uh, coal as a future energy option is uh, its prospects are limited and then considering moratoriums or uh, you know looking very closely at this assumption that coal means energy security and then taking a realistic view so that's one. Second is also relating to that I believe uh, uh, there was a point made by uh, one of the colleagues that uh, financing for new coal power plants. Now, increasingly, uh, several global financial institutions have stopped or increasingly are stopping financing for coal. And there are some remaining Asian countries which are still financing coal power plants. And at least some of them have announced that uh, their intention to phase out financing for coal. And that uh, there are more countries which uh, could join there. Uh, essentially, uh, the viability of uh, financing for coal is questionable and obviously we are likely to have stranded assets and countries uh, possibly uh, saddled with debt uh, uh, on that aspect. So the, there's a couple of things. Essentially, uh, going forward, we see the opportunities is really in electrification. Uh, that might imply that the role of power in the future energy scenario would increase. So. Electricity probably uh, accounts for something like 21% today in the uh, final energy consumption. And we see that increasing to about 51%, meaning that uh, several sectors uh, like transport, uh, buildings, and also increasing the industry will use electricity rather than direct use of fossil fuels like coal or petroleum reserves, etc. Uh, what that will entail is that uh, today about 25% of uh, electricity is being provided by renewable energy and we see that increasing to about 90% in the 2050 scenario and again this is also consistent with the 1.5 degrees pathway under the Paris Agreement and a major 
change we see happening is the role of uh, hydrogen, particularly green hydrogen. These power to X technologies, which is where I think uh, Dr. Chung alluded to, is uh, this often a concern that renewable energy, particularly solar and wind, means uh, high variability in our grids and uh, a particular challenge to manage the grids and we need to keep coal or others uh, going to address this variability. And we have seen that with a significant drop in the cost of electricity storage, particularly batteries, uh, uh, utility scale and behind the meter batteries becoming competitive. Plus uh, there is a, a whole new suite of technologies around power trades, starting with hydrogen, which are needed to decarbonize some of the industry and transport sectors, particularly long range transport, etc. Uh, plus the whole uh, uh, movement uh, away from, you know, take the financing away from uh, coal to renewable energy. So we feel that that's going to have a significant impact in Asia. And one of the things uh, finally we are working within the framework of the Climate Change Convention and the incoming presidency of the COP, the United Kingdom, is we've identified uh, as part of the Energy Transition Council about 14 countries, including nine in Asia, several of them in Southeast Asia, where together with the presidency and a number of institutions, including IRENA, we're working with a number of these countries to help them uh, make this transition away from coal. And a final point is also that uh, several countries in the region uh, and beyond which do have uh, significant job, uh, which are linked to the fossil fuel and particularly the coal sector, are actually worried that uh, transition away from coal would mean job losses and you know economic hardship. But our uh, analysis shows that every dollar invested in renewable energy compared to coal or fossil fuels generate three times more and stable jobs. Huh? So even as a as a final point is that. Uh, investments in power system flexibility, that is uh, uh, storage, interconnections, power to X, etc., actually generates more jobs than what is lost uh, in the fossil fuel industry, not to just talk about the renewable power generation. So I think this worry about job losses is also misplaced that uh, renewables and power system flexibility and the energy transition technologies generate three times more jobs than what is lost. And we see that clearly in Asia as well. So these are some of the positives and uh, some of the ways in which we could uh, address uh, uh, the opportunities and challenges around energy transition in this region and beyond. Thank you. And for Vietnam, Dr. Tung, what do you see are the challenges and uh, opportunities to move faster towards transitioning to cleaner energy? Yeah, thank you, Linda. Uh, I think first about uh, opportunity. I think it's uh, a lot of opportunity here in Vietnam. First is uh, awareness of the people of the government on air pollution. So you see that uh, Vietnam in uh, in the winter time, uh, we have a lot of days. Uh, air quality is very bad, and that's. Uh, government and uh, people already raised about this uh, very seriously. So I think this is the first is, uh, obviously this opportunity that uh, we can be talking about the pollution, about the uh, uh, sources, yeah, etc. Second one is uh, we have the new law, you know, the last year, uh, 2020, we have the new law on environment. And just in the uh, new law, just a government or the DF commit on uh, commit on very stringent just uh, measurement to control the, the pollution sources, especially like a coal power plant or cement or steam, etc. So, so, so we've been such a revised, we are revising. Uh, emissions standard uh, towards uh, more season uh, for just uh, pollution sources. Uh, the next one is uh, policy. For, from as I say, uh, the government already give a very good uh, policy to more incentive for renewable energy. So in, encourage more investment. 
So this is uh, I say such a booming on solar energy and uh, uh, and wind uh, energy in the south of Vietnam in FB's uh, province. I think this is uh, because of the policy, good very good policy of the government. Uh, and next one is uh, technology. As other uh, already mentioned, is uh, technology on uh, energy, renewable uh, energy, and the cost of the technology is also reduced. So we are very close to the China. So many just uh, the uh, com company they already go to China to uh, to buy the, uh, the technology and very easy. So I think that. Yeah, and the, the, the last one is uh, seems that uh, in Vietnam we have uh, no more the corn like before, so already all the use in Vietnam. Yeah, so many many opportunities, but we also see the cha some challenges. Uh, you know that Vietnam have only 25 corn power plants right now. Yeah, only 25. Yeah, so. Uh, some uh, very old, but they have to. They still are using now, uh, functioning now, and uh, some is new uh, from new only just four or five years now. Yeah, this, uh, so we have the shortage in electricity compared with development. It's where more investment. Uh, more uh, economic uh, development, so also requires more electricity. So this, uh, this is one of challenges. Uh, if they say that if we don't just uh, uh, develop more just uh, uh, plan, so we maybe just uh, this year or next year will be shortage of electricity. In this summer, we already see the, some shortage already is happening when the, the demand on the electricity increasing yeah, very very much second one is um, infrastructure infrastructure yeah like uh, you see i said grid the system we not develop yet in really yet so this uh, in uh, now some invest investor already just invest a lot of uh, um, a lot of project, but team uh, cannot uh, supply electricity to the government, to the net, to the grid, because this uh, uh, grid is not uh, network is not not really yet. Uh, so I think that infrastructure uh, is also just one of challenges, and um, I think that the the next one is price. When when we talking about okay uh, uh, project, so we have on on so just uh, uh, on uh, the energy. So we talking about uh, price of electricity. Now government selling at the very just the low price, and just uh, when they try to increase, so the people <laughs> Always say, oh, why say, oh, why, why? Yeah, so they, they have to keep that very low price. It also puts some a lot of problem for investor and for the government. Yeah, so they have to come with, uh, how to say, the competition of uh, the solution. So in short, I think that uh, we have to have the roadmap, right roadmap. Because right now, I think that uh, the uh, percentage of the renewable uh, energy in Vietnam already reached around what we, we think to have, maybe 20% already, just very, 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 very <laughs> increase. So I think that, uh, but I think that uh, still uh, uh, a lot of people in Vietnam still just uh, just believe that okay, go uh, uh, the pathway to the energy re renewable energy is nobody just uh, talking about again on that. Yeah, yeah. Every day say yes, yes, but how and when exactly. is the roadmap? Yeah, yes. how and when? Yeah, that that yeah, some charity. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Doctor Tung, and over to Chris. 
Um, yeah, I just wanted to respond to a point that Dr. Tone had raised because he had raised that earlier. <clears throat> um, and um, this is about the, um, you know, low price of electricity and needing to raise it. Um, I would say that that is a false um, argument. Um, my own state of Washington, adjacent uh, states, uh, we have the lowest electricity prices in the United States. Um, but our electricity plan, which is coordinated through a four state effort um, of Washington, basically Washington, Idaho, Oregon, uh, part of California, um, our plans over each five years, sort of like the Chinese five-year plan, where they look ahead and the plan requires that all load growth be achieved by energy efficiency. And we have been doing this now since 1980, so 40 years. Um, California has been doing the same thing. We have, per capita energy consumption has been the same since 1970. That enables prices to be kept low. Um, and that um, is a good thing because consumers matter. Um, I also ran into this in Europe where a lot of the environmental advocates a few years ago wanted uh, the, coal, the carbon price to be $50 a ton. Um, we agree that there needs to be a price for carbon, but just setting an arbitrary price in and of itself does not mean you're gonna get the renewable resources. It may just mean you get higher costs passed along to consumers. So this goes back to the requirement really should be on government, regardless of whether it's city, regional, provincial, national, to have a long-term energy plan that integrates these externalities that we've been discussing of environment, not just carbon, but uh, criteria air pollutants, as well as uh, mercury and air toxins. Um, and then from there, you see what resources are needed. Um, so that's, that I think is something that we've, we've demonstrated as a success uh, here. And we're seeing this now in Europe where their new um, efficiency uh, requirements are really what I would characterize as an efficiency first argument. Do all energy efficiency first that you can, that's cost effective, and only then can you build any resources. So I think that's a model for us to consider to accelerate these trends that we all need uh, to achieve the, the Paris and, and beyond goals. Paul and Red, any thoughts on the top most important concrete actions that governments and stakeholders can take to fast track our energy transition? Yeah, uh, in Indonesia, uh, uh, as, I, as I mentioned before, that uh, one of the biggest challenges for Indonesia is actually misperceptions about the price of coal, uh, electricity from coal. So the first things that government really need to do is really look at that uh, case again and uh, uh, look at the, that, that coal is not cheap as they thought. That's the that's, uh, most important thing. And then the, if you can include that, uh, the, the, the externalities, for example, in the price of coal and uh, lifting the, the subsidies or other uh, facilities that they got, then it will help uh, making it clear that the coal is actually not cheap. That's first things. Uh, the second thing uh, for government is actually that they really need to provide a kind of uh, regulation, strong regulation that would last for long term, that clearly regulated that renewable energy will become priority. So uh, in terms of planning, starting from planning, uh, procurement, and also operations. Uh, that's uh, the second thing. Uh, in fact, uh, the Parliament uh, of Indonesia is now uh, preparing the, uh, the uh, bill on the, uh, on the uh, renewable that will, uh, where the, the thing that I just mentioned will be reflected. Uh, this, the third thing uh, that, that government need to uh, really look at is the business plan of state-owned electricity company. Because this, this business plan is the basis for the government uh, or for, for state-owned electricity company to procure uh, energy. So in that business plan, uh, the government should clearly uh, mention that the renewable energy portion 
in the uh, power sector should be uh, the majority instead of uh, what we have right now. So, right. Uh, so, uh, and then the, the third is really uh, providing incentives, sufficient incentive. Dr. Tung has already mentioned about it. I just give you a, an example. Uh, there is a, a incentive, for example, provided by government for the tax holiday uh, that will uh, that will depend on the size of the investment. Coal power plant invest uh, they they invest in uh, 600 megawatt or 1000 or 2000 megawatt. Thinking about uh, 2000 megawatt coal power plant, it costs about 4 billion US dollar, and they will get uh, tax incentive for 20 years over 20 years. So comparing with renewable energy, normally because mostly distributed uh, in uh, remote location, for example, uh, the size will only be 20 mega or even less. So the size of investment may be less than 20 uh, million US dollar. So because of that, they will not enjoy this tax holiday. So from that point of view, you see already by just not having the, the the tax uh, the the, the uh, corporate tax then it will make the the price of coal uh, coal uh, coal based power plant actually cheaper so this kind of level playing field uh, 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 incentivizing uh, renewable energy uh, that would uh, would would help a lot and uh, the the other point is government has to lead by example so We have uh, promoted, for example, to government that they should start investing in putting solar rooftop on their building. So uh, I'm happen to be, uh, let's say, uh, uh, consulted by Minister of Planning to prepare a kind of a proposal for 2022 on what to be done uh, next year. Uh, Uh, in regard to what government could do on renewable energy and uh, the first things that i say is why don't you for example provide solar roof uh, rooftop f- uh, in those area where the generation cost of uh, of uh, of uh, electricity is higher so that the subsidy can be reduced and also why don't you put for example solar pv in uh, government building it is small uh, small example uh, but by doing that government could actually uh, uh, let's say uh, show to the uh, public that the government is not only ruling but also do something to uh, to uh, uh, support the energy transitions the other thing uh, is really on the uh, on the uh, on the financing uh, how government could for example uh, support renewable energy provide fund for the risking instrument and so on so that uh, uh, investing in renewable will be more secure from the perspective of the uh, financial institution, also from the perspective of the project developer. And one thing that I, I need to mention is about the uh, the impact of uh, coal that uh, becomes a challenge actually to the government. Thinking about uh, districts in Indonesia that uh, uh, produce coal. So a model has been uh, developed by colleague Uh, say uh, showing that if for example uh, reducing the uh, 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 the coal supply uh, due to the uh, uh, stop using the, the uh, or, or due to the coal phase out then it will let's say cost the local government huge income so what does it mean actually during this phase if we really want to to go for uh, uh, transitions uh, out from the coal then really need to have a look at what is the local government uh, uh what is the impact of the coal transition to the local government how we can let's say provide another source of income for the local government uh dr bino has mentioned about the jobs how to to let's say go for just transitions this is the the issues that that uh, we really need to look at and of course uh government in indonesia have to uh, start looking at procuring more and more renewable thank you thank you since we're now down to the last few minutes i'll call on red to have uh, to to speak his final thoughts um, to end this to end this this conversation <laughs> red 
Yeah, um, thanks, Glinda. I don't mean to have the, the, the final word. Um, <clears throat> and um, one way to do that is to just build on what um, Dr. Tung and Paul had uh, earlier said um, uh, as a follow-up also of what uh, Chris and Dino had mentioned. Um, um, to, to, to say level the playing field um, is, of course, really important. But um, for Southeast Asia, that's uh, more complicated because we each of our countries um, have wildly different um, uh, power structures. Um, in the case of the country, um, it's uh, fully liberalized. Um, you would think that that would already give us um, the gains that we need. Um, and to some extent, uh, I think we might be closer to uh, some outcomes. However, uh, having a fully liberalized power sector is no guarantee um, because um, if certain policies that skew um, uh, 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 the sector away from what uh, is the rational choice uh, or a market-based um, uh, design, then uh, we're defeating ourselves in the uh, uh, in the process as well. Um, so I, I, I point, for instance, to policies that uh, need to go and policies that need to become mandatory. Um, we, we still have, up to now, uh, what is called the automatic pass-through that um, uh, uh, allows fossil companies, especially thermal, to enjoy a virtual risk-free um, business because they bid so cheap at the, uh, as they try to get the long-term contracts. And then the following year, they're allowed to pass through any costs, any increase in volatility uh, 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 to the consumer. And that's why, um, uh, you know, until we replace that with what is uh, what we call the fixed price uh, tenders then um, it's not going to be it's not we're not going to see an outcome that uh, for the households that have long deserved um, affordable reliable power that uh, also should come with what we have been trying to push for which is what we call the carve out clause which um, the leading utility already has Miralco carve out is just a num uh, another way of saying curtailment if uh, in their own contracts, if they, um, if cheaper uh, sources, usually renewables like solar or wind, become available, um, then uh, the utility can carve out or curtail um, uh, its uh, capacity um, um, uh, that it had contracted from other thermal plants in favor of cheaper, more reliable power. Um, but that, uh, uh, you know, has to become mandatory across all power contracts because we need to move to shorter term contracts that will ensure more competition and the better prices uh, for all. Um, I also think the narrative needs to change, Glinda. Um, um, I understand why sometimes it's really important to describe why clean is an advantage and why climate is, uh, is an imperative moral uh, stand. But in the end, uh, what will sway our policymakers and our households is when we chase um, what is modern, what is new, and what is going to provide us the development that we require. So instead of climate or clean, let's put up front the modernization that we really need. And when we talk about modern, that's not coal, that's not even gas. Uh, it's going to be variable renewable energy. It's going to be storage, whether it's pump storage or batteries um, or hydrogen. Um, and at the moment, it's uh, very important not to be ideological about the, the entire challenge. Um, um, I don't think it's correct to just simply say for the entire world, it's time to ban fossil gas. Um, some might still need it, some won't. But this cannot be a bridge without end. If you call it a bridge, you need to spell out where that bridge ends and you need to construct a bridge so that it's easy to dismantle. So for instance, we're saying in the next few years, we might need single cycle gas plants. If you push for, as some in government or, or some in business are pushing for, more combined cycle gas turbines, then you're really just replacing obsolete base load coal with another inflexible type of uh, energy. And you're really just extending the problem rather than solving it. Lastly, the thing that I think is also fixable, um, eliminate red tape, um, uh, because it puts a lot of the renewable energy um, uh, initiatives uh, at a disadvantage. Uh, when they uh, have to um, encounter thousands, hundreds more uh, uh, things to sign uh, compared to others that rely on um, long-term power supply agreements that lock in the entire country to 
polluting expensive power that creates standing risks, whether they're in, in Vietnam or Indonesia or the Philippines, and to shorten them because that's the promise of renewables. You know, um, reverse auctions is part of the future. We uh, the deflationary trends will continue uh, in favor of wind and solar uh, and water and. Uh, um, you know, renewables are the mainstream now. It is fossils that is increasingly becoming the alternative and they're going to be left behind. The question is how soon do we make this transition happen? Clearly, mindset change is needed and surely this conversation around pathways to sustainable energy has provided a lot of food for thought on this very important issue. Thank you to our guests for all of the insights and thank you all for joining us today for this important discussion. To keep up to date with the latest episodes of On Air, subscribe to our Spotify channel. On Air is released monthly on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, and other podcast platforms. See you next month.